So I have a friend named Randy Marshall, and uh, he's a fellow pastor, he's been a missionary, he's done all kinds of things. Eclectic is probably the best word to describe his life. And uh, one of the things I remember him saying one time is he was succinctly describing the reality that most people live in, in this fallen world. And he said that the dominant and default emotions for a lot of people, perhaps even the majority of the people, are guilt from the past, anxiety about the present, and fear of the future. And I said, wow, that, that's true for a lot of people. And no wonder we have what's being described as a mental health epidemic in our world today, in our nation in particular. And our Surgeon General has even recently submitted an 80-page report that he believes this is the number one public health crisis in America, is the mental health epidemic. And when you look at what this fallen world has to offer to the majority of people, the guilt from the past, the anxiety from the, about the present, and fear of the future, it makes sense why there would be loneliness and isolation, why there would be anxiety, and depression. And as I pondered that, I realized, you know, Jesus, the kingdom, the gospel, presents just the opposite in each case. It presents forgiveness and acceptance of the past. The song that we just sang before uh, I came up here, the, the one just before the one that we just sang, talks about forgiven and accepted. That's our new identity so there's forgiveness and acceptance of the past. There's redemption of the past, peace and contentment in the present, and hope for the future, real hope. Not just like, I hope we have Chinese for lunch, you know, or I hope some little thing, but like bedrock hope, a confident expectation in the glory and goodness of God. And no wonder, in light of all that, that the Apostle Paul could write to the church at Rome and say the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what is offered to us. In contrast to guilt from the past, we have forgiveness and acceptance and redemption. In contrast to anxiety about the present, we can have peace and contentment in the present. And in contrast to fear of the future, we can have hope for the future. It's all available to us in Christ. And so we should celebrate that. We should celebrate that every chance we get. We should celebrate that on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And while we're celebrating in the midst of all these circumstances in the world around us, man, there are some really powerful things happening at Linwood that are worthy of celebration that we haven't really even necessarily been able to give a lot of voice to in the last couple of weeks. A few weeks ago, we invited almost 200 people into our building for the Global Leadership Summit, and it was incredibly well-received. So many people came up to me and made a point to come up to me and said, thank you so much for hosting this. One person said, I've been online the last two years, and it's just not the same. It was amazing to be with other leaders and to experience this as an event, not as another eight or ten hours in front of a screen. Other people said, you guys are the most hospitable church I've ever been in. One person told me that. And we had volunteers that showed up early and stayed late and worked constantly through that to make sure that we put our best foot forward. And I heard so many compliments on our facility and how beautiful the South Lobby turned out. Yes, you can thank God for that. Like, there's, there's just so many things to celebrate just on that. 
But then I also look at our summer attendance. Did you know that for the month of July, we averaged 305 people in, in attendance? And I had to look because I was curious. I'm like, I know that's more than last year, but I'm not quite sure how much more. It was the 20% increase over last year. And that's amazing. And we see that. We see new people every Sunday. We see people coming back every Sunday. And so we celebrate that and we give God glory and praise for that. On a more personal note within our family of families, Pastor Aaron, our resident, he's been here about a year. He went away recently to go and to be married to his wife, Hannah, and they are back in town uh, and will be joining us. So when you see Aaron and Hannah together, make sure that you welcome Hannah and welcome them as a couple into our family of families. And last but certainly not least is the 24 hours of prayer that we just had uh, this past weekend. And I heard so many good things about that. I looked at the numbers, and this is the most people that have ever participated in a 24 hours of prayer. So that is worthy of celebration. But one contact, yes, praise God. Like, you can clap, on a, you can clap in church. We're clapping for him. We're clapping for what he's doing here. And one conversation that I had in particular really stood out to me. It was somebody who was just on their way out, and they were so overwhelmed at what they had just experienced. And they said, going through the church the way that we did and praying through those spaces and seeing those things in those spaces and seeing how well everything fits together in our church and our family of families was just such a blessing to this individual. She said, we have to celebrate that. And I was like, yes, we do. And so I just wanted to take a minute to celebrate those things. And what's worthy of celebration in your life? What are the things that are happening in your life that are good, that represent progress? Maybe it's not perfect, but it's better than it was a year ago or two years ago. What is, where do you see God moving in your life? I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting on that and celebrating that and then sharing that with somebody else. Some of you might celebrate the fact that we are finishing the Kingdom Economics series today, right? Like, one of the things about that whole thing, like, we've had such good attendance. And I really thought, you know, a lot of times when the pastor gets up and preaches a, a stewardship series, it's more of a space maker in the congregation than you see people leaning in and really wanting to grow in financial wisdom. In financial maturity. And so it hasn't been that. It hasn't been diminishing or declining attendance as we've gone through this. So good on you, Linwood. Uh, good on you for showing up and for coming back and, and for leaning in as we seek to learn and apply and grow in financial wisdom wherever we are on the spectrum. And so far, we've been talking about Ron Blue's four H's of financial wisdom. There's a handout today that summarizes all of this. And so if you've missed a week or two, you can grab one of these. And uh, you'll notice on the front, it has the cards that we've been handing out. And then on the back, it's like a little personal financial checkup that you can do. You can spend some time. This is a paper version of what's available at the ronblueinstitute.com slash 4H tool. So that is the website that's at the bottom there. You can get a digital version of this as well. You can go through and take that assessment assessment and get tailor-made financial wisdom for you, for your situation, for your numbers, so to speak, and your attitudes and thoughts about finances. And there'll be videos, there'll be little chapters from a book that was written, those types of things that can help you in this. So I encourage you to take that, take an extra one for somebody you know. But as we've moved through this, we started with the kingdom heart and the idea that our true beliefs about money are reflected in how we behave with money. That it's more what we do than what we say when it comes to those beliefs. Then we moved on to kingdom health, and we encouraged each and every one of us to, 
to examine our current financial reality. You can't change a reality that you won't face. And so we looked at the five areas of kingdom health, these competing motivations, these competing priorities for our money. And how are we doing in those areas? And then last week we looked at some habits that after we've identified the reality that we're in, what are the habits, what are the changes that we can make, and what are the healthy financial kingdom habits that we can incorporate into our lives because financial health is a lifestyle. It's not just a choice that we make in one moment. Oh, I'd like to be financially healthy. No, that has to work itself out in habits that will move us towards financial health and towards a lifestyle of financial health. Today we bring things to a close by looking at kingdom hope, particularly in the context of finances. Kingdom hope. We're looking at tomorrow's promise. And so on this handout, you see there's this idea that we have to change habits to increase margin in our lives. That's the only way to meet long-term goals and align our hearts and hope towards eternity. And so that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today. It's going to build upon some of the puzzle pieces that we talked about last week. We had this little handout with the puzzle pieces. And right in the middle of that was spending less than you earn. And that is what enables us to give generously to avoid the use of debt. And then to do the last two, which we talked about being planned for financial margin and set long-term goals. And so we need all five of these working together to really create that margin. And then we want to align our hearts and our habits with our hope, our hope for the future. And so I want to start in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. This will sort of be like our main passage for today. This wasn't necessarily what I had planned. And if you're an astute observer of where we were last week, you're like, didn't we do Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9? We did, but we only got to touch on it. And the more I thought about it afterwards, and the more I thought about it as I worked through what we, I felt we needed to talk about today, I realized, you know, that, that's actually a pretty bedrock passage when it comes to kingdom economics. So Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, you can find it on page 1029 if you're using one of our hardcover blue Bibles. If you're joining us online or you brought your own Bible or you don't have a Bible and you don't want to have one open on your lap either, we're going to put this on the screen as well. But I see in this passage, a short passage, but a very, very profound passage, I see three factors of financial maturity as we've been talking about. And the goal of a lifestyle of financial wisdom would be that we reach a place of financial maturity in the eyes of God, a a place where the kingdom economics are our own personal economics. And so we see this wise man, this man named Agur in the first verse. We don't know a lot about Agur, but we know that he has a lot of wisdom to offer. So much so that it got compiled with all the wisdom of Solomon and others who contributed to that. And so Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, it says, Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's the first. And then the second is, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So three factors for financial maturity, or three factors of financial maturity in this passage. The first one that I see here 
is the recognition that it all comes from God, that it all belongs to God. Everything that Agur has is from God. And this is a point that we've hit several times in this passage in the first or in this series. In the first week, we talked about this idea that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone in it. Psalm 24. And you either believe that or you don't. Like you either ascribe to that intellectually and at the heart level or you don't. And so I'm not going to belabor that. If you want to hear more teaching on that, you can go back to week one. But Agur recognizes that it all comes from God. And so he makes this request of God that he would have his daily bread. Don't want too much. I don't want too little. I want enough. I want only my daily bread. And that leads to the second factor for financial maturity that I see here. That's the desire for contentment and satisfaction. Not more than enough, not less than enough, enough. And enough is more of a mindset for most of us than it is an amount, right? It's more of a mindset than an amount. Enough is when we have that contentment, we have that satisfaction in what we have, in what God has graciously provided for us. And you see this on the mission field more than you see it in America. You see people have very, very little by the world's standards, living on almost nothing, and yet they have this joy and this contentment over the simplest little thing compared to those who have incredible abundance mixed with dissatisfaction and a lack of contentment. And so the the desire for contentment, the desire for satisfaction is striking a balance in that tension between too much and too little and seeking not more, but a mindset of enough. Asking for the daily bread. Jesus taught us to pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Pointing all the way back to when God provided for the nation of Israel in the 40 years of wandering in the desert. He gave them manna. Enough for the day. Not enough for the week. One of the lessons or the teachings at the Global Leadership Summit talked about it's not a Costco God. Right? If you were at the Global Leadership Summit, you know what I'm talking about. It was like God wants us to come to him every single day. Jesus encourages us to come to him every single day and to seek our daily bread. And yet, I like Costco. (laughs) I like Costco a lot. I might like Costco just a little too much. I like that I can go and get enough for a whole week or a whole month. And usually with four boys, uh, at the age of our boys from 10 to 17, it's more on the week than the month. But I like being able to buy in quantity. I like being able to save some money. I like being able to get organic for the price of non-organic somewhere else. I like all those things, but I can't approach God as a Costco God that I can go and stock up once a week on Sunday morning, or if I miss that some other time, or once a month if I miss a couple in a row. No, he wants, he wants every day. He wants us to seek him every day. So there's a spiritual principle there, but there's also a financial principle. And Agur is wise enough to pick up on that, that there's a financial reality that if I have too little, if I have no margin, if I routinely run out of money before I run out of month, that that will produce frustration and desperation and anxiety about the present, about finances. And those three things that we talked about at the very beginning, the guilt from the past, anxiety about the present, and fear of the future, those can be financial realities for a lot of people. 
And yet I don't believe that's the kingdom economics, that these would be financial realities for us. And when today's troubles loom so large that we start to lose hope and despair, then we're in trouble. And I can look in my history and I can say, I've been there. I've done that. It was hard. It was really, really hard. So if you're there now, there's compassion for you. There's not shame. There doesn't need to be guilt from that past. I lived there. I, we were on that roller coaster, especially when it was a commission sales. But even before commission sales, even when I had a study paycheck, we didn't always make the best decisions. And then in commission sales, we had the big month, and, you know, we would really celebrate that big month, but we wouldn't put much away for the bad month that we knew was probably coming. And then when it came, man, there was all kinds of guilt from the past, anxiety about the present, fear of the future. And that's a financial reality for a lot of people, but I don't believe it's supposed to be in the kingdom economics. And so stewardship and contentment and following the healthy habits of our finances, to spend less than we earn, to give generously, avoid the use of debt, plan for financial margin, and set long-term goals. That all says easy and does hard, but there's a reality that if we do it, it works if you work it. It works if you work it. And some of those changes, those habits that need to change might not be the most comfortable or appealing to us, but it works if you work it. Now, on the flip side of that, there's also an observable reality that Agur picks up on that too much is just as big of a problem as too little, so that he prays for those two hand in hand. Don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Because if I have too much, I might say, I don't need God. And I might even more so, might not really look forward to heaven the way that I'm created to because earth is so good. Because I have so much abundance that I don't eagerly long for heaven in the way that we were created to. And so you see that, that contrast, that tension, a balance being struck between that. That we don't have too little, certainly, but also that we don't have too much. And this is a prayer that most of us don't pray, and yet there's wisdom here. And if we do have more than we need, then what we do with the more than we need really matters to God, really matters to God. And we don't increase our lifestyle so that we need everything that we have coming in. We instead choose to ask God, what do you want us to do with that margin? Rick Warren calls this the stewardship of affluence. I remember a message titled that, and he's preaching to Southern California folks in a mega church, and he's talking about the stewardship of affluence, that affluence has to be stewarded well. To have more than you need is a stewardship. And he pointed to 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, which I read last week and, and sort of taught on. Don't necessarily need to read it again today. But if you want to really understand God's heart towards the stewardship of affluence, I don't know that there's a better passage than 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. That we would do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so on the page here, the hope section is a margin meter where you can kind of just, where's the dial for you on the margin meter? Are you struggling? Are you not able to make ends meet? Are you surviving, just living paycheck to paycheck? Would you say you're stable, saving some with an emergency fund intact so you're stable? You can handle a little bit of a challenge Financially, as some uncertainty financially, you're stable. Are you secure where you're saving for those long-term goals? There is some margin. Or are you in a place of surplus? 
where there's more than enough. Your margin meter is your margin meter. It's not anybody else's. And it's like, like there's one that's more spiritual than the other. But it's a reminder of an important point from last week. That more is not the answer. Margin is the answer. And so at the bottom of that, under the margin meter, is this quote from Ron Blue and Michael Blue. Without margin, it is difficult to respond to God's calling on our lives to meet the needs of those He has put in our lives. And depending on where you are on this margin meter, it might be difficult to really put your hope in eternity, if you're in this desperation where you're struggling, you're kind of in the first half of Agur's prayer. You don't have enough. There's anxiety or despair. But clear on the other side, in surplus, that might be what he was praying that he wouldn't have. That somewhere in the middle there where we learn to give our margin to God, or at least give control of our margin to God. And so that's the second factor of financial maturity. The third one is this desire that Edgar has to not dishonor or disown God with his finances. He doesn't want his financial reality and his stewardship of what God has given him to cause him to dishonor God or to disown God, either through stealing or through forgetting about God completely and not being in a state of dependence upon God. He recognizes that he wants to place his faith and his trust in God's provision and that that would then turn into faithfulness to God in the stewardship of our finances. So you see those three working together, a recognition that it all comes from God, a desire for contentment and satisfaction, and a desire to not dishonor or disown God. That, that combination, those three working in tandem together, would be a description of financial maturity. That living a lifestyle of financial wisdom would arrive at a certain place, and that place would look like those three things. A recognition that it all comes from God, a desire for contentment and satisfaction, and a desire to not dishonor or disown God. So with that said, I have a few more minutes, and I, I want to share with you from Hebrews chapter 11 a really powerful passage on faith. We talked about faith in God's provision and faithfulness to God, and Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. It's, it's been called the, this place where all the most faithful people in the Old Testament kind of get their moment to shine. But at the beginning of that chapter is this powerful definition of faith, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And faith is incredibly important because just a few verses later in verse 6, it's going to say that without faith it's impossible to please God. So if you do all of these wonderful things but you don't have faith, those wonderful things won't be pleasing to God. That's what it's saying, that, that faith is an essential ingredient in pleasing God. This God that we just finished singing to, this God that we said is my king forever. He desires us to be in a state of dependence upon him, a trust in him, reliance upon him, clinging to him. But I want to focus on this phrase now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. And I think a really important question as we sort of bring this series to an end is, what do we hope for? Like, what do we really hope for? Is it more income, more wealth, more stuff, more experiences, nicer vacations, better dinners out? And if that's what we really hope for, then I think a follow-up question would be, how much more? 
Like, how much more do we really need? How much more do we really hope for? Or can we be content with what we have? Or if we do have an, an amount, then let's at least circle that amount, and when we get to that point, we stop hoping for more, because billions of dollars are going to be spent to keep you from being satisfied with more. More is not the answer. Margin is the answer. Turning that off, that quest, that thirst, that hunger for more, is the answer. Our income, our wealth, our material possessions should be viewed first and foremost as tools for advancing the gospel because if they all ultimately belong to God and everything that's entrusted to us is a stewardship, then what we do with that matters for the gospel. And our wealth, our income, our material possessions should be viewed first and foremost as tools for advancing the gospel. Once we build some margin into our lives, we should ask God, what does He want us to do with that margin instead of playing God with it ourselves? And then we can start beginning make, to begin to make financial decisions in the light of eternity. Not just in the light of the next week or the next quarter or the next year. We make these decisions in the light of eternity and we ask the question, how do I best prepare for eternity with my finances? Jesus had something to say about this. He said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven. He's talking about laying up treasures in eternity. And Michael Blue makes the point that the longer term your perspective, the better the decisions you'll make. And this is true everywhere. This isn't just true for money. This is true in every area of our lives. The longer term our perspective as we make that decision, especially if it's a, a real dilemma and we're not quite sure which way to go, the longer term our perspective, the better decision we will make. And this is certainly true for finances. This is certainly true for our resources. When I just focus on this moment and what I want in this moment, I'm not going to make as good a decision if I look at the month as a whole or if I look at this year as a whole or if I start to take a 10, 20, or 30-year picture. And I used to, when I was in commission sales, I would talk about the true cost of a $4 a day coffee. Now, you can't even get a $4 a day coffee anymore. The, the $4 a day coffee went away. It's now a $5 or $6 or $7 a day coffee. But it took that $4 a day and it invested it in a growth mutual fund for 40 years and it turned into something like $1.2 million. Because the longer term perspective, the better decision you'll make. And I think the same is true as we start to approach the financial margin. If we're successful in aligning our heart and our health and our habits with our hope for the future, with our hope for eternity, then we give in to make the best decisions possible. And so the question becomes, will we pursue worldly goals and objectives for our margin? Or will we pursue kingdom goals and objectives for our margin? This is a really big question. This is a really big question. That if we're successful in, in living out the four H's of financial wisdom and we arrive at a place of financial maturity, that's going to be because our hearts and our habits align with our hope for eternity. Unfortunately, we will either sacrifice the American dream and all that it has to offer in its brilliant marketing campaigns on the altar of the kingdom of God and God's desire for our life, or we will sacrifice God's desire for our lives on the altar of the American dream 
It's one or the other. We have to choose. We have to make a decision, and we probably need to choose on a regular basis. Because the American dream is not the default for most people. The kingdom mission is not the default for most people, even most people within the church. And that's a sad reality, that that's not first and foremost for most people in the church, at a real habit level, at a real heart level. And it's fascinating to me, I didn't really think about this, I didn't really even know how this series was going to end when I started it, but I had this three-week slot that I needed to plug something into between this, the end of this series and the beginning of our fall big series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, big deal, real excited about it. Eight-week series. I had this three-week slot. And something started to come together with the mission team coming back and with uh, our speaker who's, or our, our missions lunch speaker who's going to be here next week. I was like, let's do a little series called The Kingdom Mission. Kingdom Mission. And now I see everything dovetailing perfectly because really what financial maturity is is we put the kingdom mission first, especially with our margin. And so next week, we're starting a new series titled Kingdom Mission, and we've got a phenomenal missions lunch planned for you with Dr. Henry Smith. Dr. Henry Smith was the president of Indiana Wesleyan University for seven years. He's now the president of the African Wesleyan University College that is in Zambia that is linked uh, strongly with Dr. Alfred Kalembo, who's been a friend of Linwood and a dear, dear partner in ministry for over 20 or 30 years now. And so we've got an opportunity here to align ourselves with the kingdom mission. And there's some big things that are happening there. And so I'm really excited about that. And I hope that you will sign up for the mission's lunch. I hope you will sign up early. It's only a week away. <laughs> so go to the app, go to the events page, put it on your connection card that you want to be at the mission's lunch and let us know. We'll have soup, salad, and breadsticks. You'll have an opportunity to learn and hear more about this uh, from African Wesleyan University. And you'll have an opportunity to share a meal and experience some fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Linwood. So I really hope that you'll take advantage of that. But our bottom line today, and I've danced around this a couple times, and I've almost said it a couple times, or I've kind of said it a couple times, but here it is. It's a little wordy, so we'll leave it up for a little longer so you can write it down if you're a note taker. But financial maturity is when our hearts and our habits align with our hope for eternity. Financial maturity, the outcome of a life of financial wisdom is that we would reach a place of financial maturity where our heart and our habits align with our hope for the future. That every aspect of our heart, our stewardship, contentment, faith, and wisdom, all of our habits with finances align with our hope for the future. And so the question as we bring this series to a close is, do they? Do yours? Do they, do your heart and your habits align with your hope for the future? And to what extent? And if there's a gap there, again, no shame, no guilt, just what will you do? Is there a committed decision that needs to be made? We talked about this quote in the first week from Carol Hildebrand, that committed decisions show up in two places, your calendar and your bank account. No matter what you say you value or even think your priorities are, you only have to look at last year's calendar and bank account to see the decisions you've made about what you truly value, to see how you have reserved your time to look at your expenditures. Those are the trails to the decisions that you've made. Is there a change that needs to come? Do you need to get help? Do you 
have wisdom that you could share with others. One of my favorite things about this series is that we tried something where people that needed help could say, I would really like some help in this area. And people that were willing to help could say, I would be willing to help. And we've got to play matchmaker with two pairings of people. And now a third, I think, is coming together. I mean, that's the church. And you might say, oh, well, it should have been 30 or 40. I'm excited that it's three. Like, this is something to start And what if each sermon series, we could take the people that are knocking the cover off the ball in a certain area and link them up with the people who are struggling in a certain area, and the body could grow together in that way. I think that would be phenomenal, and I'm excited about it. But this quote and this idea is that what we do says more about what we believe than what we say we believe. And that could be conversations, that could be social media, that could be the t-shirts that you wear. (laughs) But what we say is not as important as what we do. And so if someone followed me around 24-7 for a month and did a full financial audit of the last three years, I would want that to prove what I say I believe, and I think it would. What would they say I believe? What would they say I value based on that? Does my life align with understanding and believing Psalm 24, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it? the world and everyone in it, including me? Would they come to the conclusion that Jesus is my king, the Lord of lords in my life? And I think that's a question we should all routinely ask ourselves. Because if we really believe that God's ways are better, then we'll bring our lives into alignment with that. And that's an important question. Do we really believe that God's ways are better or not? And so as we close, as we respond in worship, these altars are open. They're always open. We don't always say something about it, but the altars are always open. And if you want to just come and spend some time at the altar releasing something to God, asking for something from God, then come and do that. These center altars, we'll take that as an indication. You just like to pray alone. The ones on the outside, we'll see that. And we'll take that as an indication that you would like somebody to come put a hand on your shoulder pray with you. If you have a specific prayer, you can turn and state that to them. They'll be happy to pray. Members of the staff, members of the prayer team, just members of the body. If you see somebody at the altar and nobody's going to them, you can go to them and you can pray with them because we're better together. So will you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you deeply, deeply desire that we would reach a place of financial maturity, not for what you can get from us, but for what you have for us in that place. And so we pray that our hearts and our habits would more and more align with our hope for the future. And that hope is you, Jesus. And we're so thankful for the glorious inheritance that we have for eternity in heaven. Thanks to the cross. And so we pray, God, that if there's an area where our hearts or our habits don't align with our true hope for the future, that you would make that clear to us and that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to bring that alignment into our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.